This is Lit Mix, a podcast about the books that challenge us. I'm Andrea. And I'm Rachel. We're friends who met in eighth grade and grew up to be a high school English teacher and a K-12 school librarian. On each episode of our show, we focus on one book, exploring why it's controversial and what makes it important. Today, we are discussing Gabi, A Girl in Pieces by Isabel Quintero. Responsibility to yourself means refusing to let others do your thinking, talking, and naming for you. It means learning to respect and use your own brains and instincts, hence grappling with hard work. This is a quote from the feminist poet and writer Adrienne Rich from a convocation speech she gave at a women's college. And I chose it for our episode today because when I think of Gabby, the title character and narrator of today's book, and young women like her who wrestle in their writing and in their lives with adversity and with fears and desires that threaten to be overwhelming, they continue to say with the poet Maya Angelou, you may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. That kind of reminds me of the very last line of this book. Do you remember what it is? <laughs> I think the, the very last line of this book is basically like, I'm going to be who I want to be and do what I do. And if anyone doesn't like it, they can kiss my ass. Is basically, that's right. That's right. basically how this book ends. Which is perfect. Perfect. Gabby does love poetry and yes. she makes reference to this particular poem by Maya Angelou. So much of this book is about claiming an education, which is the title of the Adrian Rich talk. And the idea there is that education and growing up isn't something that can be passively given to you. It's something that you have to claim. It takes hard work and effort. And if there's anybody who puts in effort, it's, it's our Gabby. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the, the background of this book? Yeah. So Gabby, A Girl in Pieces was written by Isabel Quintero and published in 2014. I think I read it for the first time in 2016 after it won the ALA's Morris Award for debut young adult novel. It also won some other awards, the Tomas Rivera Award, which is for literature that depicts the Mexican-American experience. It also won a California Book Award gold medal. So yeah, I, I first read this book several years ago and I remember just loving it right away. I actually, um, on, on my Instagram, I take a lot of pictures of books, but not really pictures of myself. But for that book, I loved it so much. I took a picture of myself with the book. <laughs> <laughs> like a book selfie for Gabby. <laughs> You're claiming it. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, this, this book really has my heart. It's in a lot of ways, it's like an issues book. So there's a lot going on during Gabby's senior year. And a lot of the issues are just happening like around her to other people her her best girlfriend finds out that she's pregnant her best guy friend comes out to his family and is rejected by them uh, her dad is dealing with drug addiction 
her younger brother starts getting into trouble for some of his behaviors. So all of this is happening around Gabby to, to all the people that she loves and she wants to support them. But she also just wants to do her senior year, get into college, have crushes on boys, eat all the delicious food that she loves. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just a great like year in the life story with a lot going on and a lot of heavy issues. But it manages to be not such a heavy read, I guess yeah you don't feel weighed down by it and in that way it's a really hopeful book in spite of or because of all these issues that she goes through Mm -hmm. gabby the book gabby a girl in pieces um it won all those awards but i have found evidence of it being challenged in at least three different school districts in florida virginia and missouri In the case of the Missouri School District, the rationale for the challenge was foul language and rape. A committee reviewed the book and voted to retain its place in the school library. And the committee's decision, you can actually see the whole thing and all of the notes online on the ACLU website. And I, I liked seeing that because the committee, after reading the book, made a lot of great arguments for for its value and why it did deserve to stay on the library shelf. So to me, that just shows that when people actually read these books in their entirety, they can change their opinion about it. Amazing point, really, to make, because it seems, I think you shared with me an article this week from LitHub that was going into the nitty gritty of uh, Mm -hmm. one school district's process for reconsidering, we'll say reconsidering, but quote unquote, figuring out how to ban books that they don't like. And it was pretty explicit that people are taking these books off of shelves and doing goodness knows what with them without having read them. And that's just when you take something out of context there's no way to understand what sort of values or vision the author might be trying to express by talking about that thing just because there is rape in a book doesn't mean that rape is being endorsed Mm -hmm. that is not the case there's such a good argument to be made for reading things in their entirety so that you can say well what is the author trying to say about the thing not just this thing is there no bad Right. And and this book, you know, some people do not want to read a book or see a movie that has a rape scene in it, understandably. But th- this book, it, it happens off the page, right? It's not, <laughs> it, it's, it's a character saying what happened to them, but it's not, what's the word I'm looking for? Gratuitous. You know, it's not a yeah, it's, it's, it's no. not a gratuitous scene or reference. So anyway, yeah, I feel like a lot of these lists of books that are being shared of books that people want to warn others about or or just say we don't like these books, they're seeing the list. They're not reading 300 books to make their own judgment about it. They're just seeing, oh, this book was on a list. 
and therefore I'm against it. So I liked that um, in the case of Gabby in that one school district, they actually followed the process of a book being challenged, a committee reading the book and making an informed decision. Yay for them. Congratulations. You did it the right way. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Good job. I love in this book uh, how the author, Isabel Quintero, just went after all the topics that will get a book banned. I mean, it's almost like if you were going to make a list of the top issues that people are currently banning things uh, for. Last night, I just read an article in the New York Times saying that LGBTQ issues and sexuality top the list of people's concerns about issues in books. Quintero mm-hmm. had to know that by including teen pregnancy, abortion, queerness, religious misogyny, regular misogyny, manipulation, domestic abuse, drug abuse, immigration, and maybe most uh, <laughs> transgressively, She includes a frank discussion of teenage sexual desire, totally normalizes Gabby's confusion and desire. Um, Quintero is pretty much inviting the book banners to come after her. Yes, but I will say when this book was published, the atmosphere, even just a few years ago, was not how it is today. We were not seeing all of this rampant challenging and banning of books in 2014 when it was published. Uh, but, but still, I mean, historically, there has always been a, a list of the most challenged books and things like that. So yes, she really packed, packed them all in there. <laughs> She packed them all. Every after-school special issue yeah. uh, is in there. But if it was just, if it was just like, uh, you know, a hot button issue for shock value kind of book, like those Lifelines books um, that I remember from the school <laughs> library. <laughs> Do you remember those? Somebody was always having cancer, or oh my god, my parents hated that I would read them, but I love them. I can totally picture it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this isn't like cheesy, like an after school special. It is not cheesy at all. And I was kind of surprised. And I think maybe, maybe readers who are inclined to be critical would be surprised by how kind of non-ideological Quintero is. Like she's not, she's, there doesn't seem to be an agenda in that sense. It's like any good piece of art that is attempting to reflect kind of accurately somebody wrestling with things and I thought that that was something I really appreciated about the book it wasn't like okay there's a a character who has an abortion but it's not even something that this character actually will say that she believes in it's something that she has to do to survive her own difficult and particular situation so it's very much not a book that's trying to get anybody to think anything in particular. It's about the difficult and particular choices that particular people do have to make based on their situations. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think the overarching thing that I love the most about this book. It's just so honest. Um, 
and not sensational. Yeah. Even though, even as it deals with topics that are usually regarded as too hot or unmentionable, especially in the climate today. Mm -hmm. What I loved about it was Gabby's voice. She's just so funny and warm. And, And I love like how she's just a a real teenager who flips between being very wise and introspective one moment and then the next moment is just full of all those silly teen feelings like all of her big crushes on various boys which honestly i can't even keep track uh or remember all of the different boys (laughs) that she just like one day thinks oh he's so cute and then the next day he he did something she didn't like and he's he's dead to me (laughs) like but dead to me i feel like i need hot cheetos (laughs) (laughs) but and and it just feels so true and real but there are just like so many good lines too like when she found out that her friend cindy is pregnant well, Cindy suspects that she's pregnant and Gabby's like, okay, we'll figure this out. Let's go go take our SATs on Saturday as planned and then we'll go get the pregnancy yes. test. <laughs> such, such dignity yeah. and strength. I didn't yeah. understand why they didn't just book it over to the drugstore. Right? No, minute. no, they took like, the SATs no. first. Keep studying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then when it was a positive pregnancy test, it says we hugged threw ourselves on my hello kitty bedspread and cried and i just thought that was so sweet for on so many different levels because you know i loved hello kitty in high school and still do (laughs) and it's just like shows where teens are they still have some of those trappings of childhood especially in their bedrooms, which is such a personal place. And yet they're dealing with these adult issues. So true. You get to see that in boarding school a lot. You know, I can think of students who are Ivy bound on full scholarships, brilliant, sophisticated, doing internships in laboratories and they get in their bed and they have their blue teddy bear Mm -hmm. that they've had since they were born. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I go in and I say goodnight and they go, goodnight, Mrs. Stone. And you just, you go, wow, they're on the cusp of adulthood and they're still children. They're dealing with pregnancy, but they're still children themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what a lot of this book is about is just growing Mm -hmm. up. A talk that I would often, (laughs) one of those talks that I would often have to have with seniors in their senior year would be something like, Next year, you're going to have so much more freedom than this. But this year, you're still technically under our care and you still technically have to follow these rules, even though they feel really arbitrary and meaningless and like they're designed for someone younger than you because they are. Yeah. But that's what it is to be a senior. You're just in a tough transitional space. Try Mm -hmm. not to get expelled before we graduate. Yeah. They're so close to adulthood. So close. (laughs) <laughs> yeah just not there yet there's you, you, like you said not there's there certain yet. rules that you have to follow and in, 
in Gabby's life, I feel like her mom has a lot of mm. ideas and rules about how she should handle things. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of firsts for Gabby in this book. First kiss. Which I don't even remember who she kissed for the first time, but I don't think it was the boy who ends up being her boyfriend. Yeah, what was his name? I don't oh, it, was it the but other guy the who was like the boyfriend for a little while, but she wasn't really into him? Well, the boyfriend for a little while, that fell apart after boyfriend for a little while said something kind of homophobic and mean to Sebastian. Oh, yeah. Who's her gay best mm -hmm. Which, you know, that's kind of great. Like, that's a that's the kind of friend you want who's going to break up with their person if they're rude to the people that they love. Yeah. I love the closeness, the closeness between Sebastian and Cindy and... Gabby as well particularly like I love the closeness that is afforded by like a friendship that because he is gay you know is going to remain a friendship and not mm -hmm. become a romance there's mm -hmm. something so sturdy and lovely and appealing so Andrea you and I both have experience uh, working with teenagers in high school and that experience is part of what informs our encounters with uh, these books and one of the things we like to think about is how or whether um, this book could kind of fit into the the syllabus, into the curriculum. Could it be taken up and become like a part of things that people read in school? And for me, the answer is absolutely yes. And there are a couple of texts that I actually do teach that I thought Gabby would dovetail really beautifully with, whether to be like a supplemental book that people could read as a choice read to kind of inform the discussion or what. But some of them... Um, so one of the books that I read, that we read in high school, one of the books that we read in high school that this one reminded me of is actually Sandra Cisneros's House on Mango Street, yeah. which is also a book that comes to us in, they're not diary entries, but they are small fragments, just snapshots of um, a Mexican-American, a Chicana girl's life um, in school, I think. I think the narrator is quite a bit younger, but deals with many of the similar sorts of cultural expectations butting up against broader American culture. And there's also the linguistic, the linguistic feature of being written essentially bilingually with untranslated Spanish phrases, which is also a feature of an essay that I love, love, love to teach called how to Tame a Wild Tongue by Gloria Ansaldúa. And I love that essay because every year students say, I don't even know any Spanish. But by the end of it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can figure out what that meant. And it's that was mm -hmm. exactly the point that by writing in writing in her own authentic tongue, Gloria Ansaldúa and Gabby are kind of claiming their own voice, claiming their own way of expressing themselves. And if that has to, if if a Spanglish word is gonna get the job done mm -hmm. instead of a Spanish word or an English word, you know, whatever, whatever it takes to express yourself. And I love that. I think there's an obvious comparison to Anne Frank who also wrote a diary. Anne is also really interested, you know, she's she has that same thing that you were talking about earlier where like Gabby is like 
on the one hand, a totally normal teenage girl with totally normal teenage girl desires. And Mm. I think Anne Frank is very much the same. She's so remembered and revered rightly so for her wisdom and her insightfulness and how she develops her own voice and identity as a writer within this attic. But when you read the diary many times, as I have, I, you know, it's hard not to be struck by how much she's talking about food. Sometimes writing about feasts that she wishes she would have, she could have. She's writing out shopping lists, stuff that she would love to buy. She's Mm -hmm. writing about frivolous things because they're just as much a part of life as as the wisdom and the insight and it's all one and I love that yeah so I agree I think this book could absolutely be used in the classroom especially to connect to some of those other texts that you mentioned I also think it would be a great choice for a high school book club discussion I used to host the high school book club as a librarian and it was, you know, some books were winners, others were duds <laughs> for different <laughs> reasons. You could tell it was a winner by how much the kids talked about it and how much they had to say. I really feel like Gabby could prompt a lot of discussion about a lot mm. of different topics and touch on a lot of different nerves. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if this has been your experience, but my experience with students reading books that touch on things that maybe they haven't encountered in the curriculum before, or I think when students find a book like Gabby that have, that talk frankly about things that are often not spoken, people don't speak about openly in school, I think it gives kids a sense of courage that they can face those things as well. One thing I like about the book club is I feel like kids can speak more freely in that space sometimes than in the classroom. Um, It's less formal. It's it's more like they're just speaking on their own terms. And, you know, I was there to help guide the discussion especially if they weren't really getting into it as much. But I wanted it to be their discussion and I wanted them to make their own connections with the books. And I feel like in a space where they were not being graded, it didn't matter if what they said was seen as smart or insightful. And I feel like since Gabby, the book, delves into so many different feelings and emotions that that would be a great choice for that type of discussion. What you're describing, Andrea, just makes me think of why schools need school libraries and school librarians, because it is so hard to create. I heard the president of the American Library Association describe libraries as non-coercive learning spaces mm-hmm. because most of the time it's a voluntary act to you get to choose what what do you want to read what do you want to engage with and when there's freedom and choice I find that students really blossom because they don't feel like there's a right answer that they have to aim at they can sit 
in their own perspective, encounter a book like Gabby, identify and connect with what they connect with, and then maybe be inspired to either write something of their own or look at their own life in a slightly different way. And that's so enriching. And it's really hard to do when you're also trying to prepare students to meet certain curriculum standards or to take certain standardized tests. And that's, Mm -hmm. again, why I think the library, the library in school offers a model of, of what learning can be like in a non-coercive way. So fund libraries. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So it occurs to me, Andrea, that maybe this is where we should talk about, like maybe we should insert why this book is challenged. So a question we love to ask, what are the tensions and quandaries um, in this book? Where might people take issue with, where might people take issue with the book? After LGBT and issues of, other issues of sexuality, one of the topics that is actually, one of the topics that'll get your book banned um, most predictably in the United States right now is issues of race and immigration. There are many parents who really object to the teaching of American history as it is, as it was, as it is developing. And while while this is not a book about the exploitation of Mexican laborers and other thorny issues um, entangled with immigration, the author is very honest about that history. There's a description of Tijuana as, as, you know, as a border town that is designed to show the U.S.'s power and keep Mexicans in poverty and, you know, as second class people. I think some people could be uncomfortable with Gabby's frankness about the parts of her culture that she doesn't like. And Mm. I thought Quintero dealt with this really, really well. That within Latinx culture, Gabby says, there are just drastically different standards of behavior for boys and girls, for men and women. An example of this would be the way that Gabby's mom is always obsessing about Gabby's virginity and purity and wanting her to be a quote, nice girl, quote, good girl. At the same time, when it comes to Gabby's brother, Beto, it's like, well, boys will be boys. Don't forget Mm -hmm. to take condoms with you, Beto. And I think Quintero shows, like does a really good job of showing how like that sort of double standard and misogyny can be it, or it is like very much a part, an understandable part of a culture and a history. And yet also she shows us other Chicana Latinx characters who are challenging the stereotype and not, not using that double standard. So I, again, I felt like it was so nuanced in the way, but I, but I can imagine some readers feeling uncomfortable with an author sort of taking aim at her own culture in a critical way. Mm -hmm. Another thing that Gabby's mom harps on is Gabby's weight. She's always talking about what 
Gabby's eating and how she needs to lose weight. So Gabby, it's stated in the book that Gabby is fat and that's her way. Yeah, yeah. She says she's I'm fat. On the cover of the book, in between the word Gabby and a girl in pieces, it actually has a gordita and a fat girl, but they're crossed out. So I liked that because maybe those are ways that she would have previously labeled herself. But thinking about how she's a girl in pieces, there are many different things about her and being fat is just one of them. She does grapple with her own body image she writes in poems about it. Um, this one poem that I really liked, um, it's early early in the poem. I guess she's kind of making promises about things that she wants to change about herself or goals that she has. And it says, I swear to lose weight. I swear to wear a smaller size by the beginning of summer. <laughs> but then later in the poem, it says, I swear to be happy in my skin, whatever that means, but it is being said by all those skinny women on TV who don't have much skin to begin with. And so they don't have to worry about how much happiness to fit into their skin. But us fat girls have so much more skin. We have to claw and scratch happiness from anywhere we can get it. So she's really hitting the nail on the head about these mixed messages that we get you're told to be happy in your skin, be body positive, but within certain boundaries, like you can, you can be curvy, but not too curvy. <laughs> um, maybe don't go above a size 12 or 14. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. I don't know. So um, I liked how Gabby throughout the book, kind of got even more comfortable with her body and who she is. And then um, we should mention Gabby's zine that she makes. Oh my God. I was, I was all of us. I was getting anxious that we were not going to mention Gabby. Yeah. So um, (laughs) yeah. So she makes a zine for class filled with her poems. And this is also kind of where a girl in pieces comes into play because each poem is about a different part of a woman's body. So, and and the cover of the book is the cover of the zine. So I thought that was cool. I love it too. I don't really have anything to add (laughs) (laughs) in that way. I've been thinking a lot. I've been thinking a lot about why, why it is important that Gabby is fat. Like her fatness is definitely you know, a big part of what this book is about. It's clear throughout that like Gabby just loves food. Like there's so much specific food mentioned. I I am a vegetarian and don't eat meat, but Pepe's House of Wings definitely made me crave I wings. Know. He's always <laughs> talking about it. My God, I need some vegan wings. Um <laughs> and you know she has all her favorite food and she especially loves the food that's associated with holidays and family and 
um, her heritage. And it's, it's great. And it's wonderful. And it really reminded me of, um, there's this essay by Susan Sontag, where she talks about like, I was a hungry child. And she, I think she describes like being at a picnic and like eating this and eating that and eating this and eating that. And what she does, Sontag uses it as a metaphor for desire itself. And I think, I don't know, I just keep feeling like there's something important about the fact that Gabby is not tiny. She's not conforming to the cultural ideal of thinness. She is sizable. She takes up space. She has some weightiness to her, metaphorically and literally. And in that sense, like in her very flesh, she's kind of wrong. Um, And I think that's that sort of wrongness with air quotes, the wrongness of being fat is not unlike the wrongness of being black or brown or poor in in America, you know, that it's that there's often like what's wrong with you because you are like that. And when we see Gabby finding power and pleasure in her body and confidence in her skin and her voice. I love how like, although that this is Gabby's discovery about herself, it's not hard to see how, you know, the sometimes too muchness of Gabby is also what gives, for example, her aunt the courage to claim some new claim some of her own desires. And so like, I think Gabby gives the people in her life the courage and strength to find who they are too and to chase mm-hmm. what it what it is that they desire. I think, you know, hunger is this great metaphor for desire. Like everybody is desiring something and very often there's like shame associated with wanting what you want. There's always somebody mm-hmm. to tell you that what you want is bad. And I feel like Gabby's here to be like, what, want what you want. Be true to you. Go after it. Yeah. Eat that wing. And <laughs> <laughs> besides like the boys and the tacos, like what she really wants for herself is to go to college. And I liked how that was a thread throughout the book because it is following her senior year. And it was just so realistic when every other diary entry mentions a school assignment that she has to work (laughs) on or, you know, her college applications and tests that she has to study for. Her her friend Sebastian tutors her in math. I loved that she was such a um diligent student and working hard toward that goal yeah despite tremendous adversity this is honestly a book that i love teachers to read because i although there's a very empathetic teacher in the book Mm -hmm. i think it's the case that teachers don't always understand what other things are happening in the lives of the students that they teach (laughs) and Honestly, there's always so, so, so much happening, uh, especially in the last couple of years in students' lives. A lot of things besides academics are important. And I think Mm -hmm. if we could just understand that a little bit more in school, we might be able to get more good work done. Yeah. Um, And in Gabby's case, I don't know, you end up being so proud of her for 
getting through some of the very personal and traumatic things that she does go through during this year and still, you know, coming out the other side and getting She's into the college of her choice. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of all the things that she's going through, what really stuck with me in this book is how Gabby uses poetry to work through her feelings. She writes, I'm finding out that I really like poetry. It's therapeutic. It's like I can write something painful on paper and part of it, not all of it, obviously, disappears. It goes away somewhere and the sadness I feel dissolves a little bit. I've always liked poetry, but I didn't realize how powerful it could be. So she's taking this writing class in school and learning how much she likes to read other people's poetry, but also write her own. And I love that we get to read um, several of her poems, even outside the zine that she makes. And she shares her poetry at open mic night, which is just so brave. You know, I wrote poetry in high school, but probably not everyone knows that because I don't even think I know that. I didn't share that with anyone. I, I worked on the literary magazine in high school, yet not to, did not submit one of my poems to the magazine because I didn't want anyone to read them. So um, Gabby, towards the end of the book, reads some of her poems at a school function that her own mother attends just to like read such personal things in front of your mom. I, I thought that was so brave. And poetry is really one of the things in addition to her friendships that gets her through such a traumatic year. What song did you pick to go with this book? Oh, so I thought that we could use a little bit of levity in our, on our playlist. So oh, I picked a good point. Uh, yeah. I, I picked a song called Thunder Thighs by Miss Eves who is a multimedia artist from Brooklyn. And this song comes from her album. It was either released in 2017 or 2019. I think it was called Feminasty. <laughs> and <laughs> Thunder Thighs is just a fun song about mm, your body <laughs> and <laughs> and and I don't know. <laughs> it's just a really fun song. Uh, but this is from this is from the artist Miss Eve's bio on her website. It says her fierce fem C electro pop rap dance explosions celebrate confident women who aren't afraid to love themselves and own their sexuality. All with a take no shit attitude that pushes back at the patriarchy, haters, and anyone else who tries to keep her down, which is just like 100% Gabby to me. And there's also a really great video for Thunder Thighs, so you should look that up and watch it. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> if you don't like it, you can kiss my ass. That's what Gabby <laughs> <Exactly>. said. <laughs> what song did you pick? Um, so my song is called The Woman in Your Life, and it is 
maybe not a song that everyone is going to be like, oh yeah, this is great. And I want to listen to it all the time. I don't even feel that way about it, but it's one of those songs <laughs> where when I learned it, the lyrics kind of like stuck in my head. So it's almost like a poem to me and it's called the woman in your life. And it is by the lesbian singer songwriter, Alex Dobkin, who I believe is also known as Lavender Jane. And this is from the album Lavender Jane Loves Women. And the woman in your life is, spoiler alert, this is actually not a lesbian love song. The woman in your life is you. And that's a line from the song. So Lavender Jane says, who knows more about your story, about your struggles in the world? Who cares more to bless your weary shoulders than the woman in your life? She's trying to come through. The woman in your life is you. And it's about finding yourself as a woman, about being your best friend, about finding, writing your story and making it the story that you want it to be, just like Gabby. Thanks for listening to today's episode of LitMix. Check the link in our show notes for other perspectives and resources on the books and topics discussed in this show. LitMix is created, hosted, and produced by Andrea Benvenuto and me, Rachel Stone. Follow us on Instagram at litmixpodcast or email us at litmixpodcast at gmail.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts or drop a few coins in our tip jar on Ko-Fi. Thanks for your support.